Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? It's our first episode, Nick. Oh my god, yes. I'm so excited. Two white guys have time. a podcast, everyone. I know, this is so like the exciting first, and original. This is a monumental development. In the history of white people having podcasts. <laughs> no penises. One, no one has ever done this before. Nope, not or, even once. Or had penises. <laughs> uh, welcome everybody, this is, as Rob uh, laid out, our first episode of What Do You Got? Um... We're here to talk about a, an interesting article. Uh, the first one we're going for today is uh, based on the true story of Freddie Overstegen. I'm going to go with a, a hard G on that, Overstegen, right? That's good. I mean, I don't speak Dutch. I speak German, but generally that's correct. Yeah, it's close. It's not Stegen, I don't think. I'm like Mary Steenbergen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, that's a good extrapolation. <laughs> Wife of Emmy Award-nominated Ted Danson. Yes, exactly. The forehead of the stars. Um... Let's let's talk about this one a little bit. Let's talk about the the story and what happened here. Yeah, I am. Uh, I've always been uh, a, a scholar of the Second World War, and one of the things we never really see uh, in American film, especially despite our cultural obsession with World War II, <laughs> is uh, the varying European resistances yeah. uh, against the Nazi occupation. Sometimes you get a bit of the uh, the French resistance because they were pretty badass assassinating people and all these different things, but uh, you don't hear a lot about what the what the Dutch. Uh, had done to resist German occupation. So no one, reading this story was really cool. Yeah, no one really talks about the Dutch. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to history nerd out, but like they uh, did a lot of things actually to help uh, American advances on the ground when mm. we were invading, uh, I don't want to say invading the Netherlands, we were trying to liberate the Netherlands. We relied a lot actually on information. They were gathering on the ground, just riding around on bicycles and secretly getting over to England. Interesting. That's like where tanks were and everything. Yeah. Uh, Operation Market Garden, a bridge too far. Uh, we didn't listen to the Dutch enough, actually, because they didn't trust. Uh, they didn't trust civilians to gather the information, and yeah. uh, we paid a bit for that. The but, uh, uh, the heroes. last the last resistance film I can think of. I've never even actually seen it, but Valkyrie, the one with Tom Cruise. I know he played a German. He, yes, he played a um, Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg, uh, who was as, one of the as principal, we all know, Tom Cruise, very German, very German. The rest of it, <laughs> uh, was one of the principal actors in the. Uh, in Germany, plot to assassinate Hitler and key members of the uh, the staff. He was a he was a member of the German military, who was uh, heavily wounded in Africa and then planted a bomb under Hitler's desk that unfortunately failed to kill him because hmm. of a little piece of concrete. But but <laughs> that's where Inglorious Bastards came in because they did it correctly. Yes yes, Inglorious Bastards. Historical accuracy. Film. Of Hitler, Bastards. Hitler killed with guns. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so Nick had sent me this article about Freddie. I love that her name is Freddie. Uh, I will go back in time and marry this woman. Uh, and her, who just recently passed away in September, which yes. is why we chose this as the first episode. Yeah, it felt uh, it felt timely to uh, to finally give some recognition to someone who's like a century old. Mm. <laughs> but uh, it was a really just fascinating thing about ways that they would lure Nazis to their deaths. Yeah, my favorite part of this story is that members of the Dutch resistance showed up at her house and like 
convinced her and her sister and her parents to be like, um, do you want to go <laughs> seduce Nazis yeah. and lure them to the woods? Literally what they did was they, they would go <laughs> to the mom and be like, hey, your daughters are hot. Let's use them to kill Nazis. And then the mom was kind of like... Yeah, okay, I mean, yeah, sure. It's one line of the article, there, <laughs> and the parents agreed. <laughs> this is, we are rolling on this. Well, this it's interesting great. because the, the <clears throat> interesting part about it is obviously these girls knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. but it, it, towards the end of the article, and, and by the way, we'll link the exact article that we read in the, uh, the description of the episode, um, but the interesting part about it is that the, the resistance uh, gentlemen... <laughs> would um, would turn the girls away when they were killing the Nazis, saying, like, well, hey, we don't want you to see this. You know exactly what's going down, yeah. but we don't want you to watch. You can definitely hear us shooting them. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're able to hear the screams and have the nightmares. It was a weird <laughs> thing. It was a weird line of the article, like, and they didn't want to see, they didn't want the girls to see the bodies being buried. And I'm like, but they, yeah. it sounds like they saw the bodies. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> they just don't want to see the dirt being poured on top of them. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's like a slightly misogynist thing. Like, you're good <laughs> enough to sex the Nazis. Yeah, but you're not but good enough to watch them die. This is man's work. <laughs> don't want to offend your delicate sensibilities. Slinging a shoulder, uh, slinging a shovel over their shoulder. Yeah. There's <laughs> such, a, such a badass means of resistance just to go into bars and yeah. seduce these... You know, uh, what, what's, what do you call it? Uh, Jägermeister drinking sons of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, it, it's just the idea that they recruited like 14, 15, 16 year old girls because, I mean, I don't know, the 1930s, 1940s Nazis was that age. Uh, any idea if that was like a legal age? Oh, girls girls were getting married in their middle teens. Right, for yeah. A significant period of this human is, history. This is Europe. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's pretty much the the gist of the article. It's about this uh, very badass chick and her sister, who I'm going to pronounce it as Trus, T R U U S T R U U S U U S. Yeah, it's probably Trus. Trus. I don't speak Dutch either. Um, but it's about them and uh, being <laughs> being recruited by these Dutch resistance fighters to <laughs> to to sex Nazis and lure them to their death hole. I think it is important to note that they didn't actually have to sex the Nazis. Yes. Just promised that they yeah. would. <laughs> they were they were teasing the sex to the Nazis as much as you could feel bad for Nazis. <laughs> it's like oh, oh man, the Nazi didn't. Get he was that. so excited. He thought he was going out to the. Wo- he thought he was going to have a good night, maybe a couple beers. No, no, actually, no. I'm retracting my sympathy for the Nazis because they what they thought they were going to be lying in a bed of pine needles. <laughs> yeah, right. Getting laid. Like, this is this is the European forest. It's not exactly uh, a romantic place, especially in. Nazi Germany, I would say. You ever get pine in your butt? Yeah, like once once a week usually. <laughs> um, so <laughs> let's let's give it a shot. I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with you, Rob. Um, what do you got? So uh, the first thing I was thinking of was who do I want to tell this story? And based on a couple of reasons, I would actually like to see George Clooney direct this movie. Ooh, okay. Um, one because one of my favorite political and espionage thrillers is Syriana. Yeah. Um, and the ability to kind of jump around between different stories and that I thought was cool. But also, he did a very good job of keeping it on a ground level while hmm. keeping you informed of the overarching pol- uh, politics of it. And second is because I, ma- I imagine a lot of this film is going to feel somewhat claustrophobic in small pubs mm. and in resistance back rooms and these different, all these different places up, yeah. up until you get out in the woods. I, I see it very much like in Glorious Bastards in, in Act 2 when they're... When they're in the uh, the pub. In the yes, so the, uh, that was another reason I thought George Clooney would be a good choice for director because he did this movie um, that is 
required feeling when you're in my field of work uh, called Good Night and Good Luck. Yes. Uh, about the Edward R. Murrow newsroom in the 1950s, mm-hmm. uh, which is just shot in very, very tiny newsrooms and conference rooms and the press. Uh, you know, everything back then was m- much smaller now yeah. than the giant with, HD studios we have. With uh, David uh, Strahern just... Mm-hmm. Crushing demolishing it. that world. <laughs> yeah. um, so just the ability to kind of uh, really get characters in focus in, in environments that they are somewhat trapped in hmm. uh, by circumstances and by actual physical walls, I thought would be a really cool uh, way for to tell the story, and he's really good at that. Uh, I love George Clooney as a director. As far as cast, um, unfortunately I'm not super familiar with a lot of young European actors. Yeah. Um, but the first place I went when casting Freddie was a young actress named Mackenzie Foy. Uh, I know that name. Yes, most people would probably know her offhand. Was she from The Slap? I don't know, <laughs> but if if anyone's going to recognize her from something, it's as the younger version of Jessica Chastain's character Murph in Interstellar. Oh, uh, okay. Um, she's about 18 now, but she still looks very, very young. Uh, she's got one of those faces. Excuse me. So, uh... And I, I really mm-hmm. admired her in that movie, just for coming across as very, very intelligent and uh, and, and pretty quick-witted. And uh, I thought I would think it's a really, a really cool opportunity for her in that role. Awesome. Uh, just in a cast that I put together in my head. By the way, the girl I'm thinking of from the slap is Mackenzie Lee. That's a that's a different person. <laughs> yes, uh, our second <laughs> episode will actually be not about movies, just talking about the epidemic of young girls named Mackenzie. <laughs> um, what do you got? Stop doing it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then I was just trying to put together a hypothetical cast of characters in my film, so then I went to her parents, mm. uh, and the two actors I thought of for that were Vicky Creeps, uh, who made a huge splash within the last year, uh, starring opposite Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's... Uh, an incredible talent, uh, and in, I really like what she did in the movie where she can kind of keep a lot of things behind her eyes until it's time to reveal them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, that, I think that I'm film's a, mom a, a trying subtle to keep, masterpiece. Yeah, I think a mom trying to be subtle and, and keep these things under control, that would be a cool role for her. So so you, in, in your mind, you, you envision the parents being a big part of the film? Ye, yes, offhand, or at least... Um, as we go on, maybe uh, helping their daughters deal with the stress of it. Okay. Um, and oh, I like that. It's kind of like a psychological thing. Yes. It, I, I would really keep it grounded on that level and not, not actually have this cover a huge swath of time. Hmm. As, uh, we'll get to that. But I was thinking sort of a hero's origin type story. Uh, very compressed. Yeah. Uh, for her father, there's a, uh, a French actor named Matthew Amalric, uh, who I'd like to see. He was a Bond villain in Quantum of Solace. Oh, unfortunately, uh, the worst recent Bond movie. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he was in uh, Munich with Daniel Craig and uh, uh, Eric uh, Eric Bana as well yeah. as a, a French intelligence con- uh, contact for them. I like him a lot. He's kind of funny looking. <laughs> uh, who else was... Uh, there's a German actor named Tom Schilling, who I kind of wanted to be the, the the chief Nazi in the area. Okay. He's in his 30s. He hasn't done a lot of English language stuff, but he was in this movie called The Woman in Gold. Oh, uh, that's a good Helen movie. Baron. Yep, with Ryan Reynolds, right? That's the one. Yes, it's, it's about it's about recovering a piece of uh, artwork that the Nazis. Yes, stole yeah, that's, yeah, Ryan yeah. Reynolds. That's a good one. And who that else? That was a sleeper hit. That movie. Did it make a lot of money? I don't know. I think so. I remember it being. Uh, it was definitely a sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was a hit, but it was a sleeper. Not a lot of people saw it. I think. And uh, rounding it out, I was thinking about having a, just a, uh, a young Dutch boy for her to play off. 
uh, maybe have there be some issues of jealousy or collaboration in the hmm. film. Uh, that can be played by Asa Butterfield. Okay. And then uh, there's a French actor that I really like named Michael Lonsdale. Actually, he's another uh, former Bond villain from hmm. Moonraker, uh, who's I thought would be good as kind of the older head of the the Dutch Resistance. Cool. So that's awesome. my that's my cast and crew off the top of my head. Awesome. I like it. Sounds good. What do you got? So uh, I, I kind of went sort of a different route. You you mm-hmm. went a little bit more psychological, a little bit more like um, subtlety and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. went a little bit more action. Okay. Um, so my director of choice is Patty Jenkins. Patty. Um, I wanted to use, for those of you who don't know, she directed Wonder Woman. Uh, I wanted to use a female director for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, this is a very much a story about young teenage girls and uh, who better to direct said teenage girls than a female director. Um I like her use of action and also her use of pacing and dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wanted to go with her. For for Freddy, I know you haven't seen it yet, but uh-huh. I chose, uh, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Kaylee Spaney, who is from Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, yeah. She so plays the younger sister in Bad Times, and she's super creepy. <laughs> and I thought she was really good. O- originally, I had chosen Haley Steinfeld, but mm-hmm. she's too old. She's probably, I think she's, she's 22, 22, 23 now. Uh, so I actually chose Haley for the older sister. Uh, so I'm using Kaylee and Haley <laughs> as the two uh, over over Stegen sisters. Um, I just it, if you get the chance, please see Bad Times at the El Royale. It's a that's definitely a sleeper uh, because that one did not do well in theaters. But Drew Goddard has this thing of making cult classics. Yeah, he doesn't make successful critical films. And then about five years later, they become serious cult classics, like The Cabin in the Woods. Um, Bad Times of the El Royale was probably, to me, the best movie of 2018. And we promise you, it's not the same movie as Hotel Artemis, <laughs> which, which I, I, I thought th- I think that did well for a while. Right? I think that did well. Um, but anyway, so after that, I chose like the main resistance recruiter, mm-hmm. um, who happens to be another Bad Times of the El Royale alum, uh, Louis Pullman, who plays the... Um, what's it called? Clerk, I guess, mm-hmm. of the hotel. He's phenomenal in that film. Um, has this really great, like, subtle nervousness about him. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like the idea of bringing that into it. Like, because he's younger, too. He's in, like, maybe his early 20s or something. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having him be like, oh, shit, I'm leading these 15-year-old girls into luring Nazis to their deaths. That, to me, was like, I like the idea of it being nervous. I don't, I don't like the idea of, like, you know, a suave Bond-type character being like, oh, yes, young ladies, come with me. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys don't really exist. And when they do, yeah, they just kill people. Yeah, exactly. There's not yeah. a lot of... S- Suaveness and lobster and martinis. <laughs> I, you just you just kill people. I chose uh, for my main Nazi. Originally, one of my absolute favorite actors, Daniel Bruhl, but mm. I thought that was a cop out because of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to make him a Nazi again. So I ended up choosing Matthew Good, mm-hmm. almost solely for his portrayal as Ozymandias. I do remember him affecting a, a slight German accent yes. in private in that movie. His his work as Ozymandias, I think, is really great, just because of how spoiler alert evil that character is mm-hmm. um, and I just thought that he'd be a great fit for kind of like the main Nazi that these girls have to mm-hmm. he uh, does look seduce. like an Aryan Superman as well so. he does yeah especially with that Ozymandias haircut oh, God. Um, and then for to round off my cast just to have a couple more I chose two more girls um, I didn't give them names obviously because we don't have factual names for any of the others no. uh, but I chose Ellen Page Interesting. and I chose I never can pronounce her name correctly Sorsha Ronan uh, uh, Sersha, Sersha. Is, is the 
pronunciation? Sersha Ronan. Yeah. yeah, I chose them as uh, to round out my cast of uh, of females. I, I really like the idea of whereas you went with something more about the two girls and the psychological take it has on them and their uh-huh. parents, I went with more about this camaraderie between a group of teenage Dutch girls mm-hmm. and how they deal with the the issues ahead of them luring Nazis. Um, and then for a title, just relatively quickly, I just came up with something kind of basic, which is just the Overstegen girls. Um, nice. Although that kind of just takes into effect the two sisters. So I don't know if that title would technically work for the whole group. Uh, off the top of my head, I think if I was going to come up with a title for a movie about what it is that they do, it would probably be The Honeypot. Mm. I like uh, it. Which is, if you're not familiar with the term, that means uh, tra- trapping someone with seduction. I like um, it. I do it to Rob all the time. He does. He knows. I've paid his rent <laughs> three times. Um. <laughs> By the way, it's the it's the beginning of the month, so if you want to get on that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just become your sugar daddy in the canon of yes. this podcast? <laughs> yes. Episode one. <laughs> By episode 100, you'll buy me a house. Oh, God. Uh, well, here's your Gucci cologne. <laughs> Wait, I already, ha- I already have that. I, I know you do. You fancy <laughs> damn you. You know what? You can play the Nazi. <laughs> okay. Fine, you're going to play the resistance recruiter. But I want you to be the resistance recruiter as, like, this guy who's, like, fed up with it. Like, doesn't yeah. want anything to do with the war anymore. <laughs> like, this is his last-ditch effort to try I and be make... a chain-smoking Dutchman. <laughs> to try and make his name, his mark on the World War II. <laughs> <laughs> ah, girls, all right. You're going to go fuck some Nazis, but don't worry, you don't got to fuck them. <laughs> I don't know if I can do Dutch. Like, oh, girls, you're good. No, again. don't do Dutch at all. <laughs> I want him to be Australian, but he's Dutch. All right, you guys are going to go and trip some Nazis. <laughs> I'm going to shave him in the back of the head. Uh, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's try and flesh, uh, flesh out a direction of yeah. plot in the movie. Because you and I obviously went in two different directions. Yeah. With yours kind of being, being more a heroic, uh, empowered action film. Uh, and and mine being more psychological, because the first thing I I really thought about when trying to empathize with Freddie when I read this article was that's an enormous amount of stress and pressure to it's put a on huge a fourteen year old child. Yeah, not just for like maybe the Nazis will find out, but yeah. like to at that age, like you're two years into puberty. Yeah. Tops? Also, on top of that, like what kind of this probably isn't the right word, but what kind of game does a 14-year-old girl have? Do they you know? To? That's the thing is, like, where Nazis just kind of, like, whatever comes to them I is... I mean, they're, yeah, they're soldiers. They're away yeah. from home. So, like, if so a, kind of like a, a girl boys. is expressing yeah. some kind of interest, it, it, pro- it doesn't sound like it was hard. Yeah, true. Um, but that was, that was my first thing, was just really being empathetic about the expectation on, a, I mean, a child. Yeah, let's, let's you know it's a child. To yeah, absolutely. Use her sexuality, which she's probably not even done figuring out yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that that would be a really good like coming of age type portion of the film. Uh huh. You know, not the whole story, but having that be like a component to mm-hmm. her character is a great idea. Another interesting idea would be if one of the were there, there were there female Nazis. There were right. I mean, not necessarily in the army. Okay, but. Yeah, like there are some very infamous examples of women working as guards at Auschwitz. Yeah, because uh, that would also be interesting to see, like a portion, like maybe an act or so covered of them seducing a female. I'm trying to think off the top. I mean, maybe uh, definitely at the camps or at prisons or in administration uh, and things like that. Like the mm-hmm. first thing that comes to mind is there's a woman uh, who's infamous. She was, 
I think only like 23 when she was hanged for this. Damn. But uh, her name was Irma Grease, and she was a, a guard at one of the camps. It was either Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen or something. And she was infamous for pretty much getting a sexual charge out of torturing Jewish women. Oh. Um, and sticking dogs on them and whipping them. She carried around like a horse riding crop. It's a movie and, on its own. And I'm like, I think she was like 18 when she started that job. Although it would be a really cool cameo. Like to have yeah. that character show up for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we tied into to the Netherlands. Yeah, this true. would have been deeper in the heartland of of uh, the Third Reich. Well, you know, that's where the historical fiction comes in. But have that would be an interesting around. counterpoint. Is you know, women essentially heroically using their sexuality as a tool. Yeah. Uh, for for the benefit of other people versus someone who gets a perverse joy out of suffering. Yeah, and it's it's interesting about this idea. Like to to make this film, it would be really awesome because of how male-dominant uh, World War II films are. It's it's a macho touchstone yeah. in America, especially, just because... And the, and the only times you see females in those films, most of the time, are as the wives, you know, at home. The wives, women in, in occupied France a yeah. lot of the time, uh, or, like, you know, again, not Nazi women at camps. Yeah, you got, like, uh, uh, Diane Kruger in Inglorious Bastards, yeah. but, again... I, I mean, she's one of the main players, but she's one of the only ones. Yeah, it's. Uh, the, I, I guess to sum it up, there's not a lot of World War II uh, filmmaking that includes uh, women with agency. Yeah. Because uh, you know Schindler's List has a great female cast, but right. obviously they're you know no they don't have any agency in that yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially the one that the the camp commandant is sweet on. You know who I would choose as the mom if I had to bring in the cast? Who? Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Always Laura Dern. Yeah. Laura Dern, hands down. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, mainly because of her performance in um, The Founder. Oh, yeah, I forget. Because yeah, that's, uh, she plays she plays his first, first wife. wife. She is freaking phenomenal in that film, and I wish she had more to work with. Yeah, me She's too. so good. Although it would be funny for her and Michael Keaton to be the parents. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Michael Keaton can ever get rid of his aggressively Pittsburgh accent. Uh, Does he need to? That's the question. No, not really. <laughs> but yeah, I like the idea of of this really being like um, a foundation for, um, I don't want to keep using the phrase, but women empowerment uh, for teenage no, girls, you know? like. Yeah. I really like the idea of these girls bonding together. It'll be a much, much, much better version of Sucker Punch. <laughs> yes. Which, oh, we can do a whole podcast about Sucker Punch. There's, there was so much there. They, It's just so confusing. Yeah. There's just, it's all over the place. And 15 fantasies. And, ugh, okay. But, <laughs> Japanese samurai robots and World War One and a, and a lot of rape. Just yeah. an absurd amount of rape. What was going on in Zack Snyder's mind when he made that film? Well, an absurd amount of... <laughs> but <laughs> Now a word from yeah. our sponsors. But getting back to... And now kind of what I'm thinking about is, is you were you, when you were talking about ideas for the plot and you were leaning a little more heavily into uh, the fellow who would recruit them into the Dutch resistance yeah. and the way he would approach things. And I think, you know, we would, unless we were really featuring, like, a Nazi major. Yeah. Uh, like, trying to figure out what's happening to his missing guys as a right. main character, which I don't really need to see that. Yeah. Uh, you know, then you're left without a strong antagonistic presence, and I think maybe that resistance member could fill that in his expectations of the girls. Hmm. How so? Possibly 
like, oh, I don't know, some important official is coming through town, is going to be staying at the hotel. We obviously can't lure him out into the woods, so we need you to go in there and, you know, seduce him and actually go to his hotel room and go through with this. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, and oh, that would be... Just find someone, maybe put poison like in that. something or another, but you would essentially have to then... You would have to have sex with Have him. sex with him, yes. And so you've signed up for this. Yeah, that kind of thing. Because someone, there does need to be a, a, a longer-term... Would you antagonistic presence? Would you? That's interesting because that that would really bring that like because then at that point it's like well they're hunting Nazis but this guy who's recruited them is he you know as not as bad but is he you know it's the an classic evil, question yeah, yeah. how low um, do you stoop to fight um, evil? Would you say for the film would it be that he positions this from the get go with the girls or is it more like don't worry you'll never have to do this and then towards the third act it's mm. by the way it's getting to the point where you're gonna have to do this. I, I I think, I mean, again, it depends on how far you want to characterize them, but you would probably just think of them as assets for the whole thing. Otherwise, you get too attached to people. Yeah, so he wouldn't kind of think scenarios. of anything in any so of them as He would always people. have thought it was an option. He just wouldn't have told them at the beginning because he's a good spy. Yeah, like plan B. And he's kind of honey-trapping them in and of himself. Interesting. By being like a that. charismatic enough guy to convince them and their parents that they can do this and be safe and won't actually have to touch the Nazis. Yeah. But now they're in too deep. And eventually, something might be expected of them. And then, at the end, it would technically become the girls getting away from him. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a sense. Uh, you know, obviously, we're just coming up with this. This is not a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, it's historical there's not There's not a huge amount of information available on what Freddie and her sister and... Uh, and yeah, the other female members of the Dutch Resistance were up to. And that's that's one of the things we want to go through with this podcast is uh, when we read these articles, we're obviously going to lean a lot towards fictional standpoint because yeah. we want to come up with a story. We're basing it off of facts, mm-hmm. but it's you know it's going to be yeah. historical fiction. I, I do have a problem sometimes when movies do the whole based on a true story thing and then go in complete like left field directions yeah. with things. But uh, you know you can either make a one hundred percent historically accurate film, which can be a difficult slog. Yeah. Or you can kind of try to remain true to the spirit of things. Now, we would have things in the movie that not didn't necessarily happen to Freddie, but in our trying to explore, you know, what it was like for them in crafting these scenarios give you a better idea of what it was hmm. like. Like, you know, there are things in, say, my favorite historical film, Lawrence of Arabia, that didn't really happen. Or right. didn't really happen as they play it in the movie, but it gives you the correct impression for people's attitudes and thoughts. Hmm. Yeah. So you know, sometimes when you fictionalize things, that's it's a fine line to walk, and it's a hell of a responsibility. Yeah. And if we did wind up writing this movie, that'd be the responsibility that we have to these women uh, who yeah. are to this point unsung heroes. Yeah, I like that, and I think that's that's I'm still trying to think of who for our chosen directors would really fit the bill for what we're going here, mm. um, because. I, I obviously know more of Clooney's work because he's yeah. got a bigger repertoire. But again, I'm just I'm kind of set on the idea of a female director for this picture because yeah. while we keep talking, I'm gonna look up her name. There is a a woman who does an incredible amount of directing in television and has directed probably some of everyone's favorite episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay. Who has not really crossed over into feature filmmaking? I'm gonna find her name real quick. Hmm. All right, awesome. But, um, yeah, so you didn't really think about featuring the parents that much. No, I that? didn't, no. Okay. My, my, whole, my whole premise was around the girls and their camaraderie. So I have this image in my head of, like, you know, them at, like, in the, in the woods. 
about to take on their first Nazi soldier or whatever and kind of coming to terms with who's going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of drawing the, sh- the short straw, mm-hmm. something like that, and how it how it gets handled. Um, I have this idea of an homage scene where, you know, they go through that. There's a whole scene about them choosing the first guy and mm-hmm. then going through it. And then you do an homage of them hitting a couple... Nazis in a row. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then it becomes them going after the main Nazi, at which point I really like your idea of the main recruiter using them as full-on assets and telling them, hey, you're going to go to this guy's hotel room. And, you know, they're at that point, there's got to be a confrontation of them being like, you know, that wasn't the deal. Like, that's yep. not what we signed up for. And then it becomes more of a, uh, a, not only a moral issue, but an issue of obviously these girls also want to end the war as well. So do they go through with it? Ooh, I hadn't, I hadn't actually really thought yeah. whether or not they'd do it. Because uh, kind of like story beats I was going through in my head is like the first time they do it, it's probably like just some young German lieutenant. And it's really weird because he's maybe only like six or seven years older than yeah. them. And they get him out to the woods and he, he finds out what's going on and is killed and maybe they have a really adverse reaction to that. And the next time it's a little easier and the third time it's too easy. Would you would and you they start talking it, about that? Would you change it a little bit that they're the ones killing the Nazis? Mm, or would you still probably make it not the no Dutch because man. that would require them to be traipsing around with guns True. and going into pubs that Nazis frequent, which yeah. I don't I don't think would actually work. I do like the idea. There's, there's kind of like a horror aspect to ah, it. That's though. her name. Uh, it's a director named Michelle McLaren, who's done episodes of Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, all these things. Oh, and nice. is an incredible large scale director, and I'd love to see her do some actual big feature film work. Michelle what? McLaren. Awesome. Yeah, there's kind of like a horror element to it, though, when they lure these Nazis into the woods. Mm -hmm. I would love to see um, a slight horror element to them uh, being in there and then sort of the Nazis questioning what's going on. Does that first one, you know, beg? Yeah. Is it a young soldier? Yeah, does it affect them that much? You know, do they start questioning, well, like, we were mostly going for officers before. Like, some of these guys are just, like, regular... Yeah. Kids Soldiers. doing what they could, because kids were pulled into the Nazi regime. Oh yeah, especially towards the end, they were you know fighting they, yeah. actual uh, battles in the and, Battle and of Berlin. It Hitler kind years. of it kind of brings me back to probably my favorite World War II movie of all time, Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. with the German soldier that uh, uh, the one character pleads not to kill him. Yeah, and he he sings the. Oh, I say, can you see? I say, can you see? Because when I was a kid and I saw that, (coughs) I cried my eyes out for that Nazi. Yeah, he's terrified. Yeah, and and then he comes back, and you know, he finally. What's the character's name? He plays Helter Skelter, also in the the made for TV movie. Uh, who plays the the guy who lets um? Oh, uh, do you mean Jeremy uh, Davies? Jeremy Davies. Yes. yes. Okay. He's the one who lets yeah. uh, the German, no, the Jewish uh, soldier die. The guy. Uh, yeah, Matt, Adam. Uh, Adam Goldberg, Adam I believe. Goldberg. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the Hebrew hammer. You, you always like you hate him in that film, and then when you're younger, mm-hmm. and as you grow up, you're like, holy shit, you know. You can't really hate this guy. He was a freaking no. typist. A, yeah, like he's he's not a young man yeah. drafted. Type, you know, we we have expectations. Again, the, this this could be a film that we could use to subvert expectations. Yeah. But in in American views of World War II, we do have expectations that all of our guys were the greatest and bravest, and, yeah. you know, greatest generation. That whole thing. Yeah. First and, to the front, and you know, they were all there. There's all different kinds of people there, and that I mean, that's, one is a, is a you know a killer. Yeah. When you have a draft like that, you're getting people from yeah. all walks of life, and not all and of they, them are able to carry a gun. Now that I think about it, you know, in terms of 
the people that the girls would be going after in this movie, I mean, yeah, the officers are uh, prime targets and that officers and dignitaries and all these things. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like German enlisted men who would have been in the Netherlands at the period they started doing this, all like the real soldiers were on the Eastern Front fighting the Russians. Right. So you had a lot of young people in like France and the Netherlands. I, I think with the. Yeah, that's true. Because like with, with it. It's not that was going on until. Halfway through 1944. Yeah, it also doesn't have to fully take place in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. I think no matter when she was actually recruited in in the historical fact of it, I think this could all take place towards the very end of the war. Oh, yeah. Does the the article say when when it is? It doesn't, no. It doesn't say when she was recruited. Um, But I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, I also want to look up more if if there's any more information about them because, you know, obviously the Nazis... uh, we're in pretty much complete control of Europe for right. four or five years, so this this could have gone on for a, a while. Yeah, but I, I really do like the idea of um, it, it, there being a, a moral conundrum with between the girls and what they're doing uh-huh. and having these Nazi soldiers, like... Because it's true, you know, some of them... Uh, some of them were just kids that were pulled into it because yeah. the Nazis, by 1943, I would say, or 1944, they were starting to truly drown. Uh... Yeah, I would say the the war against the Russians really took a turn for the worse in like the winter of '43. Yeah, and, uh, you know the, the Stalingrad started slowing everything down, and uh, they had a huge tank battle in Kursk, and eventually, you know, it bought enough time for the the Soviet war machine to move all their factories right away from Moscow, and you know they just had the capability to produce a lot more things. So yeah. the Germans lost the war of attrition. It doesn't say anything about uh, when she was fi- when she was actually recruited. But well, oh wait, it's, it's, she was fourteen, right? So mm-hmm. when's, when's her birthday? Oh, uh, that's a good point. She was born in nineteen twenty-five, I think I said nineteen twenty-five. So thirty-five, she would have been ten. Forty, she would have been fifteen. So I guess it would have been thirty-nine, the beginning 19. of the war. Oh, right, thirty-nine wow. was the beginning of the war. Yeah, the, the invasion of Poland was in the beginning of the war, and obviously France uh, you know, fell fairly quickly, unfortunately. Hmm. Her older sister died in 2016, so they, the two of them lived a very long life. Yeah, Whew. big bucket of wind. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. They also had another ladies. sister named Hanny, who died in 1945, so she died during Probably the war. Probably Hannah. <laughs> H-A-N-N-I-E? Hanna? Oh, I. Oh, that's a weird name. Yeah. And then in German, it would be H A N N E. Because post-war, they served as uh, reading off of Wikipedia here. Overseegan served as a board member on the National Hanny Shaft Foundation, which was established by her sister Truce. And then they were awarded in 2014 with the oof, Mobilis- Mobilization <laughs> War Cross by the Dutch Prime Minister. That's cool if they got recognized during their lifetimes, at least. Yeah. In 2014, yeah, like the fact that it took so long is crazy. <sighs> I mean, uh, you you almost wonder for a time whether or not they wanted that to be public knowledge. Right. True. Yeah. Because you know. Well, it reminds me of what was the, <coughs> the, the the title we came up with for who was it? Raul Dahl, Christopher Lee. <coughs> oh, the uh, about the the, uh, the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is, I think, another episode we're gonna have to do at some point. Yeah, that's yeah, incredible layers of true stories. Because that that movie needs to be. That could be the next one we do. We'll just, could be. This is going to turn into a World War Two podcast. World War II podcast. Hey, I've been saying it five times. This podcast, America's obsessed with World War Two. It's true. It's true. 
So, um... I'm dying. Are you okay? Oh, there's not going to be an episode two. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be doing it by myself. So, what have I come up with? That's the new title. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I like the idea of going back to the, the horror element of bringing some of that in there. Because not just psychological, but, I don't know, maybe... Not supernatural, but maybe um, more of a horror element for the, like, Dutch resistance fighters. Do you mean horror... <laughs> Like in things that would scare you, or sort of just at being like uncomfortable and horrified with what's happening. I think I kind of both. Interesting. I like the idea of there being a horror element in true terms of horror film, where these huh. girls lure these Nazis into the woods, and then these Nazis, like sort of like a slasher, where these Shit. Nazis may be running through the forests, <laughs> and these Dutch resistance fighters are chasing after them. Oh, it, and then yeah. it becomes one it, tries to get away, and, and then it becomes more of a uh, like a, a homicidal uh, standpoint for the for the Dutch res like mm. let's let's say there's a main Dutch resistance fighter like who I cast like Louis Pullman. What okay. if he's got like a serious bloodlust for murdering zombies? So he he just Hugo goes, Stiglitz. Yeah, so he just goes through this forest, just assassinating all of these Nazis. And all hmm. these girls are just like they're they're the breadcrumbs. Okay, now that's that's making me think there could be an element to this of you know do they get a little too detached from it as a job? I think they would have to, and, and a stream of people just being killed uh, in front of them and, and buried uh, off camera. And, and does I, that bleed over into their personal lives? And I think that's something that could be easily developed by their reactions to their parents later on. In this, in that sort of like post-traumatic, like mid-traumatic, just sort of, people tend to turn everything off. Mm -hmm. so. Like towards the towards Act Two, I would say mm -hmm. it's it's come as such a secondhand nature to them to be in a bar and been like, hey, do you want to go outside uh, and have a good time? You know, maybe, like yeah, maybe it affects like you know what we could establish at the beginning of the film as like yeah. a very innocent relationship between her and a Dutch yeah. uh, teenager. You know, I'm thinking without the supernatural aspect. I'm thinking of the the recent movie Overlord. Overlord. The the Nazi. It's incredible, by the way. Oh, you saw it? Uh huh. I need to see it. Um, but I'm thinking of something like that where like there's a there's a serious horror element to it in these woods, and I feel like a lot of the film could take place in like a very secluded area of like three pubs in the town or something and the woods behind them. I do like a smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think it should be a huge scale mm -hmm. epic. You yeah, know, they're obviously not going film. to single handedly overturn the Nazi. Yeah, they're they're not gonna win the war the by themselves. <laughs> but the idea of them kind of just being like, hey, we live here, let's try to clear out fucking Nazis. Yeah. Like <laughs> let's not let them walk through our towns. Yeah. It's again going back to it, it's, it is just such an admirable thing to me that people really didn't ask questions and just stood up and did this stuff. Yeah. All throughout France and the Netherlands and Poland and the occupied territories everywhere, and also within Germany itself. Yeah, it's interesting because you know they were. They, it's. I mean, the last time a war was fought on our soil was the Civil War, you know. So like, mm -hmm. we we have nothing to compare this to at all. No. Like we we don't know what it's like to have <laughs> soldiers trapsing through our. Uh, our neighborhoods. Yeah, there's still there's still people in France who watch the Nazis march into Paris. Yeah, and that's and, and I think it's I affected think, post war Europe to I this day. Yeah, and I think that's where that bravery sets in is because mm -hmm. like you know this was their home mm -hmm. and it's them standing up to uh, to keep it safe and keep it away from uh, the Nazi regime. I like I just I love hearing about unsung heroes. So 
I'm sad. Uh, I'm sad. I didn't hear about Freddie and all of her sisters and brothers in the Dutch Resistance until we read this article. But yeah, this one this came would go a long way. This this is interesting because this article came out. When did this article come out? Said she died May seventh. So right right before she died because she died in September. So this article is from history101.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, we'll link this in the description. Uh, but it came out May 7th, 2018, and she died in, uh, she died uh, September 5th, 2018. Wow. So this came out a couple months before she passed. Yeah, if you, let's see. May, I wonder if it says when I saved it. Like three, three months before she passed? Yeah, something like that. Which is interesting, because, yeah, like, it's not something I've, I've never heard that name before. Nope. And um, I think it would be a very good film. <laughs> good on you, Freddie. <laughs> um, do you got anything else? Any last No, I think words? we stumbled on some, some interesting potential plot elements yeah. for it. I guess my only thought is, like, how, where do we end it? Do we end it while the occupation is still going on? What's kind of the denouement of it? Do we want to show do the we, liberation of the Netherlands? Cut to present day? Toward, like, at the very end, do we cut to present day where she's, you know... Old and still living, and what, you know. One thing I hate in historical movies is like you see people go through all this stuff, and then they always do the smash cut at the end where yeah. you see them like receiving a medal in their eighties. Mm, saving I, Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, sort of. But like, God, I hate that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think it would end completely removes me from hmm. my my association and affection I've, I've built with this character. Yeah, when you replace them with someone old. Yeah, because it's not the, like you you can't have that same connection if it's a different actor. Yeah, there's uh, in the the True Grit movie they made with Haley Steinfeld yeah. and um, uh, Jeff Bridges, the last ten minutes of the movie are we skip ahead like thirty years and there's a different actress playing Haley Steinfeld's part and like finding out that uh, Jeff Bridges' character died. And I'm, I forget like, uh, no connection to this. I'm like, I don't. Yeah, I've spent I've spent an hour and a half with Haley Steinfeld yeah. and her badassery. And now and you're just going to give me this lady. Like, yeah, like, it's not her fault. She doesn't have the time to make me go like, oh, yeah, that's my Maddie Ross. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. No, it's not I'm the actor's fault at yeah. all. It's, it's the idea that they just choose. And I think that's that's why I, I love so much more now when they're aging actors and stuff, like um, Haley Atwell in mm-hmm. uh, Civil War yeah. for Peggy Carter. That's a good job. Um, when they're aging people and de-aging people like Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's still scary. scary. We just watched Ant-Man and the Lost for the first time the other night. And uh, seeing, yeah, Meg was dumb. <laughs> seeing Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> yep. young Michelle Pfeiffer, that was weird. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. It's scary how good they got with that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I think this would have to end very relatively quickly after their... I, I honestly think the, the final quote-unquote battle would be with the lead Dutch resistance fighter. Yeah, I can see that. I would, I, in my head, I'm kind of seeing the movie end with, you know, maybe just you know, American jeeps rolling into town and just... As they're, like, sitting in the woods... Like they're just sitting there, and then the, and uh, the American army kind of comes comes rolling through. I, I, it was a little quieter in my head, just kind of imagining the jeeps coming into town and like the flags getting raised, and there being a celebration in the streets, and the girls are just sort of in in the kitchen with their parents, just having having tea or coffee, not paying attention to it. And like it's just, it's just it's a little bit numb. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. But it's, it, it's you know, there's finally some quiet. I think you would have to show at least a. A relative sense of their personality kind of going back to the way they were with their family, yeah. Because yeah. it would have to, you know, they, there has to be some type of uh, calming point mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. daughters with their parents. Yeah, I, see, I can see that. Yeah, I think uh, I think we got something here. <laughs> Go ahead and steal it. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, just so for everyone listening, um, as as we progress, we're going to be doing 
tons and tons of different different stories, but hopefully we'll have a comment section up so that you guys can uh, write down your thoughts and feelings about it, who you would cast, what kind of story you would make, or if you have any articles uh, that you would like us to look at and uh, kind of put into the, uh, the flesh of Hollywood. Yeah, we'll probably make a Twitter something lame. I don't know. Yeah, something lame. Because it's fucking social media. <laughs> we like talking, and and we will have uh, special guests on. Can your girlfriend do the social media for us? <laughs> we'll have uh, we'll have special guests on. We'll have our friends, people from other podcasts, things like that. Maybe we'll get some uh, some big names like Quentin Tarantino. You know, oh so. yes, <laughs> good friends with the feet doctor. The feet doctor. Jesus. That's, that's what I call him. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Um, I'd yeah. like to imagine him Joss, and Joss Whedon have this like foot club <laughs> it's just you walk through oh, the hallway God. to their bedroom and it's just yeah. photos of feet on the wall <laughs> questionably feety you got anything you want to plug? <laughs> <laughs> um, right now I do not I, I want to plug this um, this is obviously as we have said the first episode of What Do You Got and we're hoping to make this into a much bigger thing uh, so down the road, hopefully we'll have a little bit more time and maybe money to do something with it. Mm. Um, but uh, it'd be awesome to get like you know live episodes are up or something like that. Oh, yeah. um, by the time this podcast is up, I would say we will have a Twitter. Um, <laughs> we might have like a Facebook page, and uh, we'll see where we're housing this. To be honest. Yep. So I forgot what the name of the show is. <laughs> How do I do? Is that what it is? Huh? <laughs> Hello. Are you listening? You have the wrong number. <laughs> Get oh. on the bus. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, this is fun, guys. Thanks for listening as we figure out what to do with our lives. Yeah, this is all <laughs> still very, very relatively new to us. So, uh, again, if you have any ideas, comments, questions, concerns, hit us up on Twitter. Hit Nick up on Twitter. Oh, don't hit me up on Twitter. I, I sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have errands. I guess I'll set up the Twitter. <laughs> Can two people have the same Twitter? Can you? No! Okay, that can't be done. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got was recorded at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. The theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell, and additional music was provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com.